Hello and welcome to Beyond Markets by Julius Baer, a series featuring conversations with experts to share recent market developments, key insights and strategic inputs from around the globe. In each episode, we cut through the noise to bring practical advice and macro research on today's shifting economic and market landscape. Please listen to the important legal information at the end of this podcast. Hello and welcome to another episode in our podcast series, Beyond Markets. My name is Kelly Chia and I am the Deputy Head of Research for Asia. Today we have with us Ethan Su from Nightfrank and he is the Head of Retail. Under his portfolio, he manages assets like Change Alley Mall, Novena Regency and Live at Changi. Hello Ethan, glad you can join us today and shed some light on the retail scene. Hi Kelly, thanks for having me. Before you start giving us some high-level thoughts. Let's just look at this in a really high-level sort of view. In terms of growth, June showed about a 26% growth from the previous year in terms of retail sales. But it is still about 22%, almost a quarter below pre-COVID, right? In 2020. So can you just share maybe a quick overview on where you think the retail scene will be 12 months from today before we launch into some specifics? So I think that we are still currently in a transition stage whereby we are seeing or still testing out what works, what doesn't work, and what will constitute the so-called new normal in the future. However, we do see some interesting retail concepts popping up, and maybe these are born out of the pandemic crisis, and which may become a new trend moving forward, right? And some of these things are in co-retailing, whereby we see retailers coming together to form new concepts collaborating to to do modular pop-up concepts that you see at the malls today and also some kind of lifestyle curation in the future whereby, you know, in the past, we are used to going into a mall and you walk into a shop on the ground floor, you can see the fashion retailers on the second floor, you see the sports, athletics, footwear, third floor beauty or kids maternity wear and then toys upstairs. I think in the future, it will be more of a lifestyle curation. When you walk in, based on the positioning of the mall, based on where the mall wants to be, which sector it targets, that the lifestyle of a customer that walks into the mall, a shopper with that kind of a profile, with that kind of a a spending power, that kind of a preference or needs will be catered all throughout that mall level that you see. So interesting. total retail concept will be something trending moving forward. That's pretty interesting. We're going to talk a little bit about e-commerce next because this technology disruption, especially with COVID-19, right, has really shifted some stuff. So some statistics before we get into it, right? For computers and accessories, I found it quite amazing that 57% of them were actually purchased online. 57% is like more than half. 33% for furniture and household stuff. I can't really sort of like imagine that also, but it seems like it's like a third of them. And about 14% for groceries. I think the most amazing one is food and beverage. Not spared because about half of them, 48% of all retail sales for food and beverage actually occurred online. That's quite amazing, right? So e-commerce and technology is definitely here to stay. How do you think retail or like this brick and mortar guys will really adapt to this mega trend? I guess the numbers are not that surprising if you look at it because of the global lockdowns that have been imposed right during the pandemic crisis and shops were not allowed to open. So the only way a customer can 
get hold of the products or services that they require really through e-commerce. And we all know that e-commerce has taken on this phenomenal trajectory since the global lockdowns were implemented. And this has led to the ongoing involvement of the physical brick and mortar stores as retailers redesign their models, the business models to incorporate multiple customer touch points in order to engage with their customers, whether is it online or offline or a hybrid or both. So if you look at it, it is really like a color palette, you know, and each retailer puts together different strategies and platforms where the customer can engage with the brand to form different colors that make up the final picture, right? And gone are the days when retailers can just set up a shop and display some merchandise and expect that people who walk by, walk by would come in and buy the yeah, wares. Yeah, that's what you said just now. Yeah. Right, right. With e-commerce now, you know, providing such easy access to a global marketplace 24-7, these physical retail concepts will no longer be able to compete just on price alone, right? They have to move to being how creative, innovative, and whether they can develop this deep understanding of what their customers want, as well as being able to deliver those expectations and delight the customers. That's quite an uphill task, right? Because everybody had to change so fast. I guess that brings me to the next question. I've heard of a lot of retail folks having a really difficult time now they are also having a difficult time with their landlord. I've read a little bit about this new code of conduct. In your opinion, is the balance of power between tenants and landlords actually finally equalizing or is it sort of like going to stay the same? Right. I wouldn't go that far to call it equal partnership for now. But I do think that the new code of conduct for the leasing of retail premises is a promising start in the right direction. Because it is common knowledge that retail tenancies are mostly skewed towards the landlord because they are the ones who craft the tenancy agreements. And since many of the big malls are owned by the major corporate entities, the retail tenancies are usually drafted by a team of corporate lawyers, right? Advising in the interest of the landlord. So much so that even the legal fees of drafting these documents are passed on to the tenants. Wow. It's not surprising that the tenants usually end up with the shorter end of the stick, lah. And I always say that if there is a silver lining to the global pandemic for the retail sector, it will be this new code of conduct for the leasing of retail premises because this is actually the first time the whole retail industry has come together to iron out long-standing points of contention between tenants and landlords. Okay, landlord. okay, wait. So tell us what are some of these examples of these contentious issues that has been really long-standing? The far reaching concerns actually spread across 11 categories of lease negotiations, such as rent structure and computation, whether they can charge you know, GTO rentals or, or with your base rental, right? As well as your early termination provisions and third-party fees, like the ones that I mentioned earlier on, the legal fees of preparing the lease agreement, are actually all covered in this new code of conduct based on the principles of transparency, reciprocity, and sustainability. And then we ask, will it be sufficient to equalize the balance of power between tenants and landlords? I think that would actually remain to be seen due to two things. One, the code is still currently a set of guidelines for best practice, which is not yet mandated through legislation, although that is currently in progress. So it's not law yet? Not law yet. Right now, it's good practice. If you adopt it, good for you. But if you don't, they can't come after you. Two, there is still some room within the new code that allows for deviation in certain leasing principles if mutually agreed by both tenant and landlord. So you think about it, uh, when it comes to very highly sought-after retail locations, right? If a landlord intends to deviate from the code's principles, 
there would still be pressure on the tenant to comply and agree, or else they risk losing the space to another yeah, willing true. taker. So you ask me, I don't think that it's going to be equal partners from the get-go, but at least we should see tenants having more say during the lease negotiation process than what they had in the past. That's really interesting because in Singapore, we've had an asset class called Singapore REITs for a long time and they've done so well, right? Every quarter or every half a year, the investors ask, so what's the rental reversion like? So it does appear that rental reversions, even if the pressure for tenants are less, I mean, in terms of rental reversions for the landlords, it doesn't seem to gonna come through as easily. So it's not going to be in the past, but I think this reopening, in our view, is actually going to be pretty interesting for the Singapore REITs as a whole. They've really lacked the broader Asian REIT complex, and I think there's pretty quite a lot of room to catch up, especially with the gradual opening up that we see VTLs that's happening, especially with Germany and probably going to expand to other countries. We think that this 4.5% yield spread with maybe just a Singapore government bond is really going to be pretty attractive for a number of investors. On that front of, as a retail shop operator, there's another obvious thing that keeps coming up in the press that I see, you know, foreign talent pool. It's always shrinking. How will service standards keep up in an ever more, you know, this competitive landscape that we have just talked about just now? I guess the short answer to that is automation, right? Everybody says that. Although that is not a silver bullet that can solve all our problems. But it is a means to an end. And for roles that can be better served through automation, I think we are really gearing towards that. But for the longer term, I do think we need to develop a more holistic framework to safeguard service standards, right? One that takes into consideration various factors like um, industries with the more pressing needs for reskilling or upskilling of our local workforce, like such as technology and e-commerce in order to avoid potential pitfalls or missed opportunities as the economy recovers and reopens. Okay, so that's quite generic, but do you have any specifics, you know, with regards to how you solve this talent pool shrinking problem specifically for retail? For retail, the most common feedback we receive from retailers and F&B operators is the lack of staffing to man the brick and mortar stores, as well as service staff to wait on the tables. So as long as hiring restrictions on foreign labour persist, I don't see this problem going away anytime soon, which means that we can only look from within our populace to resolve these issues. So in general, I think we need to build up this culture of delivering and rewarding excellence in service. As a nation, I do think we are more used to complaining about things that go wrong than showing appreciation for things that are done right. And we need to think about how we can change this and create a service culture for our community through policy and strategy, implementing the correct procedures, yeah, and as well as there. calibration. Yeah. And maybe one suggestion could be coming up with a service at academic module that can be designed and assimilated into the post-secondary or tertiary education curriculum that eventually funnels through a vocational institute with comprehensive career paths and job placement opportunities that are mapped out for our younger generations who may be keen to establish themselves in the retail or service sector. Well, of course, this would have to be driven at the government and industry level for it to be sustainable. Well, I could have those interesting, I've seen videos of drone delivery meals in a shop. Yeah, exactly. I, I, I don't know if I want to be delivered <laughs> a meal via a drone, but I can't blame anybody if it spills on me. But it does seem like it's a pretty difficult scene out there. And if you had friends that wanted to start renting a retail shop, what would your advice to be 
be to them? I think in a nutshell, I would tell them that they need to have a clear understanding of what their core business strengths are, which should ideally be unique to them, uniquely advantages to them, and build upon these competencies to be the best in what they do. And then finding a suitable shop front would depend on where their customers are, where the competitors are, the, bed, the budget for rent, and having a strategy to connect to their customers across multiple platforms. And with the ongoing transition in the retail industry, I think it's no longer a must to have the best shop fronts unless you are dealing in the luxury sector, maybe. But what consumers resonate with these days are brands that are authentic, of high quality, and deliver consistent service that far exceeds expectations. So it is better to actually explore options that best suit the business concept and seek out viable locations and landlords that can add value to your business model and leverage on such synergies. That's something which I hear from my younger friends, you know, they are looking to buy products that resonate with their values, whether it's sustainability and the values that really resonate with them, they usually go for it. And, you know, it's almost like a, I'm sowing and investing in this, mm-hmm. yeah. not really buying the product yeah, itself. Yeah, this is who I am, right? This tells you who I am because I'm about sustainable sourcing, about I'm a socially responsible consumer. So it's really a, a different ballgame altogether. Okay, so, you know, we've talked about if they were your friends and how you advise them. If, like, a big guy comes to you and says, hey, you know, I've got a gigantic shopping mall here, Ethan. I have, I give you free play. Tell oh me what goodness. to do. Yeah. Everyday life. Yeah. <laughs> what would your advice for them be? First of all, I would tell them that they need to establish the purpose for refreshing the mall. You need to think about is it because of issues that you face with the existing mall layout that maybe impedes shopper circulation? Or is the mall outdated? It's falling apart? Or is it the current tenant mix is not able to bring in sufficient footfall? See, malls that undergo upgrading works or asset enhancement initiatives, as we call it, are usually meant to enhance the value of the property in terms of its aesthetics, functionality, or keeping up with new market trends to introduce new elements to the mall, which would in turn drive rentals in the long run. So for mall asset owners, they need to know what is their shopper catchment profile, what is currently lacking or not working well, and how the shopper experience can be improved with the intended works. If the sole intention is to increase just the net letable area or reconfigure spaces to increase rents without adding any real value to the mall, then it may not be as effective because tenants have choice uh, today. They can choose to move to the next development right? that generates more footfall due to better shopping experience such yeah, as true. wider walkways, efficient circulation, vertical transportation, as well as what kind of modern amenities that are provided for them in order to increase their dwell time within the mall, right? So I would say that there would be a very real trade-off between making short-term financial gains from seeking higher rentals in the first term after they go for a major upgrading project versus long-term returns from focusing on bringing in the best retail concepts to attract shoppers because these operators may not be able to pay you very high rentals due to their substantial investments on the initial capital in expenditures, their product development initiatives, and marketing in order to grow their business and customer base. So therefore, it would be more sustainable for mall owners to take a calibrated approach and map out strategies for the short, middle, and long term to determine its viability before embarking on any more rejuvenation project. Definitely more complicated than if yeah. I'm just selling <laughs> yeah, out yeah, a shop. For, for sure. Yeah. For sure, right? 
So there you have it, folks. Retail is here to stay, but definitely going to take on vastly different forms from what we're going to see from today. I think five years later, I think it's going to be really, really different sort of like sensory experiences in which you're going to experience. Thank you for listening to this episode of Beyond Markets. Do subscribe to our podcast series on Spotify and Apple Podcasts. So from all of us here at Julius Bear, take care, stay safe, and we'll see you soon. You have been listening to Beyond Markets by Julius Bear. If you like what you heard, subscribe to our show on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen. To learn more about Julius Bear, our people, our latest thinking, visit us at www.juliusbear.com. We will be back with a brand new episode soon. This is a podcast disclaimer. The information and opinions expressed in this podcast constitute marketing material and are not the result of independent financial or investment research. The podcast content is intended for information purposes only and does not constitute an offer, a recommendation or an invitation by or on behalf of Julius Baer to buy or sell any securities, security-based derivatives or other products or to participate in any particular trading strategy in any jurisdiction. Julius Baer does not accept liability for any loss arising from the use of the podcast content. Please refer to www.juliusbear.com forward slash legal forward slash podcasts for further important legal information.